Thanks for tuning in. We're Ace Comicals. I have with me my co-host Rahul Jani and Leon Everett. I'm Greg Driver. Let's get started. episode 20 spooky season is upon us the air smells like fire leaves litter the ground it's october and we're on halloween countdown well at least i am anyhow because i love this time of year and i love halloween and autumn it's great so let's dive into it uh today i've got both ray and leon guys hello i didn't i didn't know if i was supposed to say something there hi hello the team is back together yeah, yeah, it's weird. We haven't recorded the three of us in so long. I know. It's like I was. I was like, I had my heart in my, my mouth just then. Like, are both of them going to answer? Or am I only just going to get the one of them? No, we just left <laughs> immediately after you started. Someone recording. just drops out. Yeah. No, I've got both my co-hosts this time, which is so so good. So, um, one of the like, I mean, we don't usually do news items, or we don't do news items very often on this podcast. But I think there's one thing that I picked up on that it just struck me as really really odd really really weird thing for marvel to do and that's marvel had struck a, a deal of some sort with a defense contractor company called northrop grumman and the deal was that marvel were going to make characters in comics that use northrop grumman tech as a way of advertising like northrop grumman basically <laughs> um and uh, well marvel say this was something to do with introducing stem to a broad audience and probably trying to get kids on board and interested in science and whatnot and you know that kind of stuff but i you know really like these guys make weapons you know they're they're like defense contractors they make arms for the u.s military is that really something marvel should be getting involved in (laughs) considering you know what marvel marvel's message has been in recent years and the way marvel have portrayed defense companies and things like that in their comics and what are you talking just, about man it's for the kids i know but it just it just seems so so hypocritical <laughs> so hypocritical of marvel to sign off on something like that i mean obviously they backtracked when they saw that people weren't happy about it and rightly so uh and they cut the deal and completely went back on it like this ain't going ahead anymore but well they've said that but i i don't know if it isn't if i think part of it is still going ahead like i'm not sure like i think i think i don't think they've completely i think they're going to continue to work with them but in a different way so they're going to try and slip the pill into your food in another way kind of thing you know like maybe in the ice cream instead while you'll notice it less i don't know but (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a weird one. When I came across when I came across this news um, at the weekend, I was like, "What? What? Like, what the hell?" Uh, and it's funny because um, I saw a lot of the outrage on Twitter before the panel. A lot of people had just come across it and been like, "What?" And and seen that tweet on the sixth of October, where it's like um, from the official Marvel account, where it's like Marvel and at. Uh, Northrop Grumman <laughs> join forces come check out the Marvel uh, NYCC booth tomorrow blah blah and you get like an image of like that cover of the book where it's like this sort of diverse group of new heroes and behind them are like the Avengers and it's like oh, what the hell and 
the uh, logo of the defense company is like prominently like it on the cover as well and I was like that's weird like what's what's going on here and then it's just funny just to see the next day this event has been cancelled like they reply to themselves <laughs> like this event has been cancelled like no other explanation mm-hmm. until they released the statement in the in the afternoon that day yeah it wasn't even a full 24 hours it was something like 15 16 hours in between or something ridiculous yeah. like that it was like what because like oh. the the statement was um just reading stuff the activation with um, terminology but the activation of northrop grumman at new york comic-con was meant to focus on aerospace technology and exploration in a positive way however as the spirit of that intent has not come across we will not be proceeding with this partnership including this weekend's event programming marvel and norfolk grumman continue to be committed to elevating and introducing stem to a broad audience you see that's the part i picked up on that they're going to continue so i don't know if they're going to be working together like backstage somehow and not doing it so overtly and blatantly as to make a comic about a defense contractor <laughs> but yeah um are we sure northrop grumman actually exists and it's not just some marvel fabricated arg type thing is it a real company i have no yeah. idea i've never heard of this place yeah the, well yeah they're real <laughs> unless it's some Fair epic enough. epic long con they yeah. um they made b2 stealth bombers yeah. for the u.s government so yeah they're real sounds pretty cool yeah until you realize what they're used <laughs> for right <laughs> it's not yeah no that it, it's it, just a bit of a weird thing for marvel well, to, and, and to announce to the average joe on a twitter account as well yeah well the thing is it's, it's quite interesting because it does sort of um bring this up uh in terms of like military companies and the military and how they work um with uh companies who create entertainment and fiction um it, like if you look in hollywood there's a long history dating back to the first Oscar winner wings um, of the military providing equipment um, uh, like equipment providing vehicles and stuff um, for use in the film and the benefit of, of that for producers is that it's free equipment uh, flown by pilots for free so it's like a lot cheaper than um, having to go privately with that stuff so I remember it being quite notable if the Michael Bay Transformers movies where um, like he put a lot of those movies out under budget because he was able to he's he's pretty buddy-buddy with uh, different branches of the military I think it was the Air Force and maybe the Army Um, so a a lot of the helicopters and jets that are used in those movies he was able to get um basically get them leased and borrow them from the the military um at like a much lower cost than if he'd had to do it privately so um it creates this weird sort of uncomfortable thing in a way where is this usage um promotion um or is it really the defense uh, contractors way of giving an outreach program um and it's always tricky with those because it could be a thing where they're just paying lip service and really it's like oh it's a good opportunity to cross our brands blah 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 or it could be a way for them to try and uh, give back but 
I mean, it, it it's it's kind of hard to just accept that, and it it does feel. I mean, this wasn't like hidden or anything in a way. Like it's on the cover and everything. It's not like somebody read in the fine print on the editor's page. Oh, Norfolk Grumman. Like they were trying to do something, and it just seemed like the public, uh, the Twitter sphere, got on it really early. Uh, well, not really early, like the day before, um, and caused a backlash. But I don't know. I, I think it'll be interesting to see which other companies. Because I mean, in terms of like say product placement or relationships uh, partnerships between two different like entities in that way yeah like how far does that go because you do get like well, you the do. odd sponsored um yeah thing you, you do get a lot of product placement it does it does but, happen but i mean this is like it just strikes me as really nefarious like they're trying to find a way to slip kids a pill and get them thinking favorably of the military industrial complex. Yeah, that's the thing. It does sort of feel like they were doing like uh, Power Rangers or like Captain Planet, but like working with the company and like under the pretense of like science and technology. But and it just it leaves a bad taste in the mouth. Well, it, it's um, there's a like a a screen grab in this article that I looked at which is of a an advert where it says dream and it's got like Stark Industries and reality and it's got the Northrop uh, Grumman building um, and it says underneath make your dreams a reality there's a company that makes the wildest stuff you can possibly imagine and it doesn't just exist in the comics come join us at Northrop Grumman yeah there you go I See? saw that as well yeah and, and like it, it just feels really really dark and a bit you know I don't, I don't like this this whole like it's like getting kids kind of brainwashed and you know because I, I remember years ago um, there was an advert I saw at the beginning of a video on a video games website where it was like a, an advert for you know getting people to sign up to join the military and they referenced Call of Duty during the advert like you know oh, I used to you know play a lot of Call of Duty and whatever and now I'm doing this kind of thing doing it for real they they used it in that kind of way which this feels you know to me it's just like bringing that back up again i'm like okay yeah yeah you know no it it doesn't doesn't come off well i mean i guess now it's dc's turn (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm waiting for them to disappoint me now but they've been they've been doing a pretty good job recently, actually, of not disappointing me. Um, as you can probably see from my list of things that I've been reading. Uh, but we'll get to that in a moment, because the first thing I've got on my list is a book called Headlopper. So I've got, like, the entire sort of first arc here, which is, like, the first... I think it's the first five collected in a big book. It's called headlopper and the island or a plague of beasts so i'm late to the party with this so i've got like the first trade here um this is a story about a legendary warrior called headlopper people call him headlopper but he prefers norgal which is his real name um and he turns upon this island and he's island full of monsters and he basically gets contracted to clean up the island simple story um there's a there's a big evil wizard guy at the end that he has to kill uh it's it's a really 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 cool book though i I love like some of the monster designs and stuff in it it's like really 
got this kind of like real cartoony feel but at the same time it's um the action the way the way they draw the action and the way it flows it's just beautiful and there's like whole sections of action like for pages where there's no words and it's just sword swinging and stuff like that and it's great and he takes on all kinds of beasts and the humor in it is quite spot on as well and it's got this whole kind of like sword and sorcery feel but it actually feels fresh because it's got like this real abstraction about it and this cartoon look um what i really like as well is uh he's got this head the head of this this blue witch agatha that he carries around with him um and she's like he hates this head like because she just will not shut up and he does all kinds of weird things to it like put like when he goes into um there's a part where he he goes into someone's house and there's a barrel of water outside and he's like just leaves the head in the barrel of water like obviously she can't drown because she's already dead but he's just like torturing this thing and and she's like um kind of helping him at the same time so reluctantly they're a team but he won't leave this head anywhere because it's like a powerful magical um object basically so he can't leave it anywhere he's kind of stuck with it he doesn't want it but he's stuck with it because he slew the witch and now the head's still alive and it's a power it's got powerful magic um and i I just thought this was a really cool book i really enjoyed it Uh, have you guys ever seen anything of headlopper about or ever seen it on the stands because i think the the new headlopper stuff has just started i think number seven hit no you've mentioned it a few times number six number seven hit recently Ah, yeah, no, I've never actually caught it on the shelves. So, give like, what what's the art style like? Um, well, as I said, it's it's got like this kind of cartoon feel. It's kind of abstracty mm. and cartoony, but it's like really dynamic, and the action just, like I said, flows really well. Mm. And there's like these whole really cool sequences where there's like a double page spread, and it's just like a like an action shot, and there's no need for any um, words. It's just all described so perfectly. It's like looking at, um, you know, like a um, a manual for actions about how to complete something. Like you go this way, that way, then this way. And it shows you the person each step of the way <laughs> through. It's got that kind of look about it in places. Like there's this double page spread where he lops a head off a giant wolf. Um, and it's just got like step by step every movement he makes and how he does it. Like, cl- like jumping under the wolf's underbelly and slashing it underbelly first and then diving up over its head doing a somersault cutting its head off at the same time and then sliding down its back and jumping off its tail it's like it's incredible <laughs> and like I said the story's great he's uh, you know in, and it's got like a real twist at the end as well um, and it like does like this whole flashback thing and everything and there's really cool giant monsters and oh, it's just so perfect and I'd recommend it to anyone that's this way inclined basically that likes sword and sorcery and likes uh it's quite you know it's not too heavy either it's not too heavy reading it's quite um it's quite a nice little book so i'd recommend it to anybody who's that way inclined uh, the humor the humor in it as well it just keeps it from getting dry and stops it from being you know like cuz sword and sorcery sometimes if you, if you you know like it, it can be quite dry because it has like a certain look or a certain feel about it and it just follows that kind of one road that's already well trodden yeah, I know what you mean. Because the humour sort of brings you back out of it and reminds you that it's like a, a story and a cartoony type story and it's just like, okay, yeah, fine. There's like whole little comic strips that remind, that have kind of like a... Um, you know when you read comics at the back of a newspaper and it's got like a kind of like a three-panel thing 
where it's like a little joke and that's it there's bits like that in it I mean the funny pages yeah 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 the funny pages yeah <laughs> there's like little sections where it's like a three panel bit of the head talking and uh, and things like that and it's just great it's just like a little joke and it just kind of brings you back out of it and reminds you that you know it's it's not trying to be this big serious sword and sorcery thing it's just fun it's great it's great for that so I'd recommend that and uh I think I might actually have to start reading Headlopper and picking it up off the shelves or maybe I'll wait for the second trade to be collected but yeah it's great I'd recommend it definitely 100% so what have you guys been reading Ray? Yeah so I picked up Vision Volume 1 um, which is titled Little Worse Than a Man I think Leon you've read this as well right? Yeah I have Yeah and it's uh, written by recent um, favourite of the cast I guess Tom King who also writes Mr. Miracle Um, and it it feels like a uh, feels like a sibling comic, like a sister comic to Mister Miracle in some ways. It's got that same level of depth and gravity and like heaviness that Mister Miracle has. So it's basically about the vision of the Avengers um, wanting to start a family so desperately that he creates one for himself. And like the book basically explores the implications of his life and what it means for him to have created a family that he wants. And then how they break the mold that you know was expected of them. Um, it's really interesting. Yeah, what, what do you think about it, Leon? Yeah, I mean, what you say, um, I agree with. It does feel like a sister comic uh, in ways, and it's interesting reading it again now, um, being two issues into the Mister Miracle run. Mm. There is a definite connection in terms of using these not not really obscure but using these sort of B or maybe C tier characters who are somewhat different from those around them and are dealing with quite unique problems that are very um, specific to to them and how they exist and I don't think it's any uh, major surprise that um, the design of both characters are quite similar mm. in terms of like bald sort of well when, when the, the mask's on for Mr. Miracle but yeah sort of bald characters um, who like their face is all one colour um, and they're trying to relate with the people around them and they're different from everyone around them. Uh, Mr. Miracle's case, he's from another planet uh, and in uh, the visions where he's synthetic. So it's it's quite interesting like rereading it under that um, or coloured color, with my readings of Mr. Miracle. But yeah, the, the book itself, um, art done by uh, Gabriel Hernandez-Walter uh, is... Mm. Uh, colors by Geordie Blair. Um, yeah, the book is so interesting. So I remember first reading it because it was uh, when the trade for the first volume had come out, and there was a lot of um, just uh, that cover of the the family sort of on the that sort of classic picket fence, or the family on the on the porch, but because their visions, they're leaning through the doors and, like, mm-hmm. going through the door. And I remember that capturing my eye and seeing a lot of, like, positive stuff about, oh, you've got to read the Vision comic, but I didn't get onto it for several months after. But um, 
yeah, I remember like the first time just being sort of blown away as I wasn't sure what the big thing was. Um, I, I was really, I never really super uh, been into like the vision or really understood the vision as much. Only in terms of like his creation and his relationship to the Avengers, but I never really delved in. And one of the things that what I love that Tom King is doing with these characters is sort of drawing you into their world and getting you to see life through their eyes. Um, and I think it it does that pretty well. I mean, it doesn't feel gimmicky um, as it easily could do, having like suburban vision and the vision family. But it, it is a good exploration of a lot of um, like different themes. It feels like, like in the first, I think it's maybe the first issue or the second issue in the first trade. There's like um, the Vision and Virginia, his wife. They're arguing, but they're synthetic, so they're arguing in a way that's based in like logic over emotion. But they're trying to see the benefits of not living that way and to be more human uh, because they, in essence, were made by uh, humans. So to try and understand life that way, uh, they're, they're, they're trying. So they've sent their kids off to like normal school and everything. But they're having an argument. And the way it's written is so interesting because they're like doing sort of synthetic robot-y speak to each other, but they're hitting points that you could, you've experienced in arguments of your own significant other, or you can imagine uh, a married couple having argument over, and the resolution of the argument feels very natural and true. And I think it's such a good way to sort of hold up a mirror to us by using people who aren't as human as us yeah and using that to explore our humanity um and i i just found that really interesting and on this reread that i've done i wanted to read the uh that director's cut that's been released but i haven't got around to it i, I assume there's lots of like cool art pieces and stuff but i don't know if it actually adds new panels or anything like that but um yeah just reading this there's a lot of like cool themes in there that i thought were quite nice so like the visions because they're like their skin's different colour and they look sort of odd and they can fly and have powers there's a lot of cool sort of parallels made between like the immigrant experience in a way or like being the only sort of person of colour at a school um, where everyone's sort of gawking at them and some people uh find them like interesting and a novelty uh being the only people like this in the neighborhood or at school and it's like oh yeah i'll hang out with these people that they, they got superpowers they can do these cool stuff then other people are like taunting them and saying what are you are you real and bullying them and spray painting uh like mean messages on their like garage door and i thought it's a very interesting sort of mirror um especially in the spray painting incident, which I won't go into too much detail, but the lead up to that is about these two kids and how they're, they're good kids and they know all the bad words for people who 
pray to different gods or have different skin colors, blah, blah, blah. But they they never say them like because they know it's bad. But then in this instance, they wanted to hurt these people. Uh, and so they Googled uh, bad terms for... <laughs> for like synthetic synthetical robotic people and it's just like it is a kind of interesting way to sort of express the idea how it's not about things like that aren't about people who are evil it's it's about normal people making horrible decisions because they feel threatened or um they want to push back against something that they deem is not normal. That they don't understand. It's yeah. the usual way. <laughs> something, if, uh, if people don't understand something, they just instantly turn. Yeah, it leads to like anger yeah. and fear. Yeah. But like, uh, I think it's interesting. It's a really good exploration of uh, humanity. Um, I mean, the broad premise of it is that the vision is the Avengers liaison with the White House. So they've moved to Virginia just outside um, and like the vision, like flies in and works with the president, uh, debriefing him and all sorts. Um, but it, it it's cool because it just relates that experience, which is a sort of almost supernatural. Oh, I guess it is supernatural um, experience, but like adds a lot of this weight to it. And in terms of like bad guys or and. Um, antagonists it's it's not exactly what you think and and instead it just becomes like you could remove the fact that it's the vision and visions and the powers and stuff and it just be about humans and do a very interesting take using what's happening in the story but i think the fact that it is the visions adds an extra layer and makes it uh ironically but perversely in a way it makes it uh, easier to connect to mm. um and uh, yeah I, I really like it um I, i've only ever read the first um trade so on this reread i'm hoping to read more I, um yeah sorry to to uh, to sate me in between issues of uh mr miracle Rush, but um rushing yourself man god yeah it's hard man Don't but push. um yeah, no, I definitely recommend it. I mean, what what are your thoughts, uh, Rahul? Yeah, I mean, you basically covered a lot of the things I was I was thinking. I mean, one of the things I like about the way Tom King writes is that he writes with a lot of symbolism, like almost heavy-handed symbolism, with lots of like navel gazing, you know, uh, asking the grand questions without really answering them and leaving these open questions. But I really like the way he does it. It never feels too um, forced or gimmicky. It's it he's always asking these questions that I don't know, tie in to the broader themes of um, what it means to be human in a non-human body. That thing you mentioned about the um, like finding curse words for how to how to describe these people that the kids, you know, are, they're, they're new to them. That's one of my favourite moments in the book because it's like they've gone it's not something they've picked up through society, you know, how you can learn how to hurt somebody with words based on the colour of their skin or based on you know where they're from but they go out of their way to find this language that's harmful and there's just some really nice or interesting touches like that like um i like the way that tom king writes his characters as well there's especially the side characters like there's the the people in the neighborhood and 
you don't really get to learn much about them except through their art style and the conversations they have with each other and then very minor uh, parts of narration, which is a really interesting framing device, which I don't want to spoil because it, it does some clever things there, but you get these le- these brief glimpses into the type of character they are. You get to yeah. see these things that um, you wouldn't normally know about a person unless they revealed it to you themselves. For example, like there's one of the, the slightly stuffed shirt neighbours... Um, one of the things we learn about him is that he likes his hot wings a little too hot for his taste and like what that informs about a person and this is what I mean about the open-ended thing like it doesn't explicitly say anything about this guy but you can kind of infer the kind of character he is and um, the kind of ego he has based on these little things and it's just stuffed full of little moments like that and I think that's one of my favourite things about the the writing in this it's got this whole like darkness in suburbia vibe about it a little bit, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and you've got the. I think the difference between the two is the fact that this being commentary on family life and suburban life and and mm. you know everything else, and the uh, the Mister Miracle is is about mental illness. So that that's what I got from the two, as in like just just like a hot take of the. Mm. <laughs> when I compare the two, Mister Miracle, very similar writing styles, but Mister Miracle about obviously it's the same guy, but Mister Miracle. Uh, it's like probing mental illness and how people deal with mental illness and being functionally depressed and things like that so still being able to do what you need to do but always having this thing eating at the back of your head whereas this vision book is, is more about like darkness in the, the sort of like darkness behind the curtain in suburbia kind of thing like what happens behind closed doors and the weird way the weird things that people do and the weird ways that people live and the way that like um and kind of the lengths you yeah. go to to protect your yeah. family. And also and this, this whole... the slow yeah. breakdown of his family yeah. who are synthetic and they have memories and um, desires that he's basically implanted into them or they don't really understand mm. where it comes from. Yeah. Mm. So it's it's all it's all very, very strange. But it's very, very good. Yeah, very good. Highly recommended. Indeed. Um, so I guess next on the list... Uh, would be the first of the two DC books that I wanted to talk about that I mentioned earlier. I should probably mention before I um, I go any further as well that Headlopper story art and cover entirely by Andrew McLean. Because, um, you know, I need to start making a point of mentioning creators. Um, and uh, obviously with help from Mike Spicer. So, yeah, it was it's kind of like a two-man army type th- type deal. Almost a one-man show, which is quite impressive for the book that it is. It's really good. Um, so on to another one-man show, actually, which is Batman White Knight, which is a story art cover by Sean Murphy with help from Matt Hollingsworth. Uh, he did the colours. Um, now, I picked up both covers of this because I was really excited to start reading this. Um, this book is... an it's well this is the first one of eight there's only like it's going to be an eight part series it's separate from the actual batman continuity and everything else it's just a you know a separate batman story kind of in the vein of the old um legends of the dark knights type thing but not because legends of the dark knights was an ongoing thing that went on for a while so it's kind of like in that vein where you get like these sort of like one shotty batman tales gave me that I got that feeling from it when I was reading it that this is like you know these these uh these great Batman stories that everyone always talks about that were published as you know either short Batman stories out of continuity or as part of Legends of the Dark Knight um things like The Long Halloween and 
that kind of stuff so um but it explores the idea that batman is gotham's trouble that batman is the reason for everything crappy that happens in gotham <laughs> that it only happens because of batman so it's all batman's batman's doing but because batman is there everyone else is there and obviously you know we talk about these ideas like I, I've sit, sat down and had drinks with people and I've gotten to discussing Batman and we've gotten into this kind of like really deep discussion about how but, you know these guys only exist because of Batman like Batman created all of it it's Batman's fault but this actually takes that idea and builds on it and explores it which I really like um, so it starts with Batman chasing the Joker and as Batman is chasing the Joker across the city, he's just it sort of like spotlights the damage that he causes and the people that he harms in the process. Like he doesn't actually kill anyone, but like he, you know, injures a couple of people building a, 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 on a building site. He drives over people's houses in the Batmobile, like smashes their roofs to bits. He um, he chases the Joker and shoves a security guard out of the way and injures a security guard in the process. And he's, just, you know, because he's just so focused on catching his his prey, so to speak, that he doesn't care what happens and who gets hurt in the crossfire. He's kind of reckless almost. I mean, we know... That, almost? Yeah, well, is is very reckless. <laughs> but we we get the feeling that he's, like, obviously he's at the end of his tether here but this is how Batman always is. And you never realize this now, but when you go back and look at Batman stories through this lens, you start to think, okay, yeah. So maybe he is a bit of a, you know, maybe he's the reason Gotham's in such a poor state. But um, yeah, so all the damage he causes and the lives that he ruins when he goes out to save the city, this drops a spotlight on it all. And uh, so it gets to the point where he's caught the Joker, he's caught up with him and he's laying the beat down on him as he always does. Um, but this time there's something a little bit wrong about it because the lens that we're looking at it through it's like dude's going too far you know Joker's had enough stop stop man stop um someone's filming this and the film gets released and um it goes like uh viral and as you know in, in the modern age people pick up on things and they end up on social media and they get spread about and you end up with two polarised groups usually on either side of an argument and the majority of people want to defend the Joker. They're like, wait, this is like another case of police brutality and everything else. And they want that they're enraged and they're calling for the GCPD to investigate, to be investigated for police brutality. And people are actually on the Joker's side. Um, it also explores the idea, like what if the Joker could get better? Like he, um, when Batman chases him down, he chases him into like a, a, a place where they've got some pharmaceuticals in storage, some pills, um, Batman, in his fit of rage, just dumps an entire box of pills into the Joker's mouth before leaving him <laughs> to the police. And this is all on film. But these pills, we don't know anything about the dosage, we don't know what kind of pills they are or, or whatever. But for some reason, when the Joker wakes up from this beatdown, he's not the Joker anymore. He's normal, average Joe. He's Jack Napier. And he sets about, um, first of all, bringing GCPD to task for what's happened and uh, also he wants to try and save the city so he's he wants he's going on a kind of a crusade to save Gotham 
Um, and I, I thought it was really interesting. I'd be interested to see where this goes, actually, because I really quite like the idea of it. I mean, what did you reckon, Leon? Well, when you recommended this, I was like, oh, my God, like another Batman thing. And like I say that with everyone knowing that I love Batman. But I think like like the most recent Batman I've read it was the part of that crossover the the DC metal. Knights the metal. Yeah, the metal so thing. I was thinking like um like what is this going to be? Like White Knight like is this what what is this going to be? But um yeah, it's actually quite interesting. Like I what it does, I was not expecting at all. Um, so this whole thing with um, the the Joker uh, sort of having public opinion on his side and all that, it was quite interesting because um, like the way it opens with like the Joker on a Segway, <laughs> like outrunning the Batmobile, which is like looks like the Tumblr version from the Nolan films, which is quite cool. Um, and like Batman himself, he feels like a mix of like Nolan Batman with TAS Batman, especially when he's in Bruce Wayne mode. He looks so much like uh, the Kevin Conroy voiced version. But yeah, um, like it's just this mayhem at the beginning. But then uh, it's funny because Batgirl's with him and she's like, oh, calm down, Bruce. Duh, 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 yeah. duh. And then like uh, you've got Barb and Nightwing trying to rein Yeah, in. Nightwing comes along and like, fixes up something during this chase and he's like control him and it's just like i'm trying man like you know, you know what he's like da, da, da. and it's like at first it felt like they were just touching on like this sort of now standard take on batman it was like batman's the real bad guy of gotham and da, 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 and he's wearing the mask and he's actually batman and he's not he's not like bruce wayne is the mask and da, 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 da. and i thought like I had to like double check. Like, is this a new comic uh, at, at the beginning? Because I was thinking, like, it feels like this is stuff that just been covered again and again. But they do start to take it to slightly more interesting places, and that's what I quite liked about it. Though, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm unsure, like, where exactly it's going or what it's trying to say yet, and which is hard with um in issue one because like you have like these uh pundits on news and you got like the woman who's like on, on the side of like the people who think like batman went too far that and brutalized the joker and then yeah. you've got like the other guy who's all like uh like who cares if they brutalize them da, da, da. like this is the joker who's done xyz da, da, da. And it's like they easily st- st- like start framing it, and she's like she's like the liberal whiner, and he's like the sort of Republican blowhard. And then he drops like the line that's like about uh, SJWs. The, the, yeah, the SJWs. I'm thinking like that's a bit on the nose with this, but it also creates this weird thing of like, like what is it saying? I mean. The, the book is called White Knight and it's like obviously it's like him as the opposite to the Batman uh, and it, he's beloved by the people but then it's also like in the parlance of like social discourse online the whole thing of being like a white knight and like swinging into arguments that uh, to defend people even if uh, often um 
not for altruistic reasons, but just to dive in, be a hero. So it's like, it's, it's interesting to see, like, I'm interested to find out what Murphy's saying, but he's, he's brought a lot of interesting and still quite relevant, uh, discourse terms and, uh, examples into this and oh sorry i was going to say would you agree with me in saying that it's it's very much like a modern swing on dkr because you've got you've got like the whole bit like dkr being um dark knight returns um as in like the uh the miller comic but you've got like the um especially with the bit at the beginning with the newscasters and you know and and the, the way that it's um they you know how do I put this? In DKR, they describe the city as being in turmoil because Batman's gone. But in this, it's like flipped it. It's like the city's in turmoil because Batman's there. Yeah. Um, yeah, de- definitely like shades of it there. Um, I mean, it's hard to have like quite a gritty take on Batman and not have that be um, like a, a watch watch point or uh, I think- like... Yeah. An inf- a major influence and I I can definitely see um, sh- shades of that in here um, but it, it is interesting because it, it's it's taking to sort of age old um, exploration of the Batman character and laying quite a modern social discourse lens onto it and at the moment I'm not sure on what what the what the what stance the piece is taken or what focus it it's uh what angle it's taking but so far it's like definitely a really interesting read and it is it is one that I would like to follow because it's quite an interesting idea of like the joker basically being on the like taking yeah. everyone to task and in a way it sort of flip flips things because i mean yeah like the, the they are vigilantes and like it's always been a weird uncomfortable relationship having gcpd unofficially working with the batman but in this is so stark as they're just standing around and he's beating the crap out of him and yeah and just like choking him. him with pills yeah. yeah but so like um like yeah i'm interested to see it where it goes but um I'll just touch on a few other things I thought were really cool. I thought like the splash pages are really like high detail, and I think um, like there's a there's a, a one of the pages is in a in a library, and it it does feel like there's like some depth to that room, and it does feel like a real uh, oh that library bit's brilliant. Yeah, it does yeah. feel like they they're just surrounded by uh, every book under the sun. Yeah. But what I, what I really like is the um, sort of it's a mix of like grimy colors because mm. there's there's no like high vis or anything like that yeah. at all instead it's all like browns and greens and grays but it's done this really cool high contrast style mm. which just looks really um uh it it's really striking and like scenes at like mm. jail or arkham or whatever they were like like the way they're done where like, the shadow is like just outside of you i thought uh, well, well, you, 
Oh, like the shadow is fr- um, the image is framed just by like the outline and where the light stops. I thought that's really good. So I really like the look of the book. And like I was saying before, I do love the the little influences from other Batman stories in the past. So yeah, I, I'll, I'll definitely uh, recommend can... that and stick with it. And we'll we'll see yeah. how it goes. I mean, future issues I might have some stuff to say about about what I feel about the stories, but um, we'll see how it goes. Because mm-hmm. for the time being, I, um, I'm going to be checking it out. I'm I'm gonna I'm definitely gonna stick with this 100% because yeah, it's Batman. But um, I what I'm enjoying about this as well. What actually when you what, the other thing as well that kind of ties it back to Dark Knight Returns is the even the Batman design, like the the chest symbol and the way they draw him, like the build. Um, it, even down to like the stubby, the stubby ears on on the cowl. Mm. Um, and the yeah the uh, Batmobile. It's kind of like a cross between the tumbler design and also the um, the uh, TAS design, the animated series one, because it's got like the whole kind of long front type thing going on with the engine, like hot rod style engine yeah. at the top and everything. And then the back with like the sort of fire and the lights. Yeah, it's, it's quite TAS. Yeah, I really like that. But no, yeah, I, I really enjoyed this book, and I went out and bought both covers because both covers are beautiful. Wait, wait, so the, is is the second cover the one which kind of looks sort of exorcist like where you've got the back of the Batmobile and then Arkham on a hill or something like that mm, like I think I s- that's that was another piece of art for it but the two covers uh, that, I've, okay. that I've got that got released there's one with Batman standing on top of the Batmobile and it's all spray painted in Joker paint with like you had your chance yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And then the other one, which is the main cover, is um, Joker and what I think is Harley. Yeah, um, that's the one I, I had, yeah. Because yeah. I, I was like, is that Joker or Bruce when I like, no, it's, checked it's out? High, high society Joker and Harley. <laughs> and uh, underneath that, you've got the Joker's face looking pretty pretty menacing. But yeah, that piece of artwork was awesome. The uh, the, the Exorcist star one, I quite um, liked it. I, I like these kind of like premium, I come to call them premium, premium Batman tales. Though. You know, like uh, Batman Europa and all those kind of things. I quite enjoy those, where they do like these little limited series. They're always really good. And they always give me something cool to read. Um, the next one is another Batman book. But this is like, again, because I've been doing this, every every show I've been doing a Dark Knights book because I'm really enjoying this event. So this one is uh, it's another Dark Knights book. It's Batman the Dawnbreaker. Now, um, previous week, because um, I didn't talk about last week's comics, so previous week we had um, what would happen if um, Batman was given the abilities and powers, or should I say augmentations, of the, uh, the cyborg... Um, it, and it also deals with Batman's reaction to losing Alfred and the way he would deal with that if he was making poor decisions. I mean, it's not like Batman ever makes good decisions all the time, but he usually makes a bad decision and still comes out on top somehow. Because um, he's always got like an ace up his sleeve or a trump card. But this, these books are exploring what would happen if Batman made bad decisions and these bad decisions went bad, like real bad, like universe ending bad. Um, so we had the uh, murder machine, which was the uh, cyborg one, and this time we've got Batman the Dawnbreaker, which is the Green Lantern one, which I think is the more interesting of the two, because I really like this one, because it doesn't actually... The thing this one does, first of all, is Batman doesn't become Batman. 
in the alleyway that night. Batman, you know, when, when his parents die, when Martha and Thomas are shot dead in front of him, instead of um, instead of him being um, taken away by GCPD and taken back to the mansion and raised by Alfred, then going off and training himself, he uh, he gets visited and given a Green Lantern ring. So Batman, Bruce Wayne becomes the Green Lantern. He's not Batman, he's Green Lantern. Uh, but because the whole thing is that it triggers the, uh, the the ring delivery system and everything because he doesn't feel fear. When his parents die in front of him, he, he doesn't feel fear. He just feels nothing. And because he doesn't feel fear, because he stands up to his fear, that's what gets him the Green Ring because of the will, the will that Batman embodies, the will that Bruce Wayne embodies. Because he is a character of such indomitable will. Um, he's handed this ring and uh, he becomes the Green Lantern basically but obviously being so young and so angry he doesn't have the misgivings about killing that he would have had when he's been tempered and he's grown up and he's aged a little bit he's just you know he's just hot for revenge basically Uh, so with the Green Lantern ring he kind of he obviously starts going too far and he corrupts the power of the ring and he allows his own darkness to seep into the ring. And in, instead of just being able to manifest, um, like solid, um, depict solid uh, depictions or solid, uh, how do I how do I put this? Representations of his will. He's manifesting what he refers to as the void, which is the void inside him, which is a really really scary place. And the cover of this comic illustrates it perfectly because you've got this uh, Batman the Dawnbreaker kind of like this cross between Batman and Green Lantern suit with all these like horrible tentacles and hands behind him just kind of like streaming out that he's obviously you know manifesting with this ring in this like black void framed in green and obviously they send the other Green Lanterns after him and he murders them all on his in his universe he murders all the Green Lanterns and he's the only one left uh, and then he comes to our universe with the help of the uh, the Batman who laughs, um, which is obviously where it all starts and how it all comes together in metal. But yeah, no, I I really enjoyed this and I really enjoyed it as an exploration of you know what would happen if you give such power to such a young, angry, confused child, and and what would come out of that and how how Bruce Wayne might develop differently if not becoming Batman, then becoming something else and being given the opportunity to be something else. The thing, the general theme here, the thing I'm enjoying about most of these books is what would happen if Batman wasn't Batman, if Batman was given the abilities and powers of these other members of the Justice League. Now, this is um, written by Jason, uh, by Sam Humphreys. Uh, the cover is uh, Jason Farbuck and the artist, the main artist in the book is Ethan Van Shiver skiver um and i think it's great i think it's nicely put together it's a little treat it was really cool to read i like this whole kind of like green and black framing that was going on throughout the whole thing obviously with it being a green lightning batman story green and black are going to be the dominant colors but yeah no i really enjoyed it it was good and it's a nice little addition to the uh to the overall event which i'm I'm really liking so far these one shots are killing it these I don't know if either of you guys have managed to pick them up or check them out, but these these like Dark Knight's one shots are killing it. No, not yet. I think I'm gonna wait until they're out and, and see see um, where the dust lies once this thing's over. 
Yeah, I know. Because they do seem super interesting concept. They are. They are. They really are. Um, anyway, I'm I'm gonna shut up about Batman for a bit now, because <laughs> uh, I know you two have some more stuff to discuss. So Ray, what you got left? Mm, yeah. So I picked up a couple of the new Marvel runs of um, Generations. So I don't know if you guys have seen this, but they've been doing a thing recently, which I think it might be over by now. Um, but they're basically taking the new and the old characters who have the same moniker. So, for example, um, Phoenix and Jean Grey, or Iron Man and Ironheart. Um, and they have, like, the Sam Wilson Captain America and Steve Rogers Captain America in, a in like, a crossover. Um, it's called the Generation Series. So I picked up Ms. Marvel and Ms. Marvel and the Miles Morales Spider-Man and Peter Parker Spider-Man issues. Um, I didn't really know much about these going in, so... I read the Ms. Marvel one first, so it's written by G. Willow Wilson, who does the writing for the regular Ms. Marvel run, um, and the art's by uh, Paolo Villanelli. So it starts in media res, uh, with like an old film trope where it does the whole record scratch, freeze frame. Um, you're probably wondering how I ended up in this situation. And it turns <laughs> out the situation is that she's got sucked into a time stream and sent back to the 60s, 70s? It's not really that clear what time period she ends up in. But basically, she ends up as an intern for a woman's magazine, and this magazine turns out to be run by Carol Danvers um, under JJJ as part of the Daily Bugle. And it ends up at this time period where Kamala Khan, as Ms. Marvel, knows who Carol Danvers is, but Carol Danvers doesn't know who Kamala Khan is because it's before they'd ever have met. Um, and it's it happens chronologically after Ms. Marvel Kamala Khan um, has had an ideological falling out with Carol Danvers. So she's kind of coming to this situation knowing that they've fallen out over certain things, but they're meeting again for the first time. Um, so it turns out this magazine that Carol Danvers is running is struggling to reconcile what to write about, so whether they should be writing about progressive women's lib stuff, career advice, um, or whether they should be writing about makeup tips and weight loss. Um, and so after a few supernatural setbacks and like back-to-back fighting with both the Ms. Marvels, uh, Kamala finds or provides a really timely, as in our time, 2017 timely solution to their predicament about what to write about. Um, and it's it's all really heartwarming and positive, and it's very, very G. Willow Wilson in in that regard. Like, it's very positive um, in in that usual way, and I really liked it. Um, and without giving too many spoilers, like, it ends with a really progressive message for today, like, through the lens of this this time when women were fighting for a change. Um, I mean, yeah, that's it. If you want a really nice, positive story about these two characters meeting, then that would be it. Um, the thing with it is, like, the art style's got a really cool, grainy, sepia, 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s, whatever vibe, as though it's shot through these, like, aging Polaroids. But everything's just a little bit off, like, you can't reconcile which time period she's in. It all feels a little bit anachronistic. Like, for example, um, she she lands in the middle of New York in the 60s and then immediately goes to a shop to try and buy clothes to fit in and she pulls out, like, a dollar bill from her sleeve, which clearly must be from, you know, 2017 or current timeline. And they just accept it without any questions. So I kind of didn't understand what the setting was. Um, and so I went on to read the Miles Morales and Peter Parker one, and so the, Sp- the Spider-Man one starts with Miles waking up in a high school bathroom in the old Spidey art style. So think um, 
the kind of thing that they replicate in Spider-Man Blue, where it's hearkening back to, I think it's the Golden Age Spider-Man, where mm. you know Peter Parker's got the the yellow coat, the sweat black. Uh, swept back flat top hairdo and like Harry Osborne's got that wavy orange and black thing going on right and it yeah. all looks very 60s again and then you realize it's like deliberately anachronistic so Miles bumps into a younger version of himself referencing a 2008 movie and it's all kind of like it has the art style of a particular time period hearkening back to the original characters but with details that are from contemporary times and like so when he bumps into himself it's a really sweet moment of reflection of him seeing him of Miles Morales seeing himself as a child but with this art style of the old Spider-Man um and then he bumps back into Peter Parker who explains that the day that they're living right now is the day of one of the most famous Spidey stories and I don't want to give that away but it's really clever how it's it's deliberately messing with the time period and it's not so much going back in time chronologically but it's going back to a a style so it's it's not so much going back to the 1960s it's going back to what the 1960s were presented as in the comic books it's a really clever thing like um i don't know it's just interesting all these old school things uh like uh, the art style for the spider-man one is really odd because it has this old school um, layout where it has these like huge white gutters where it feels like they've not really pieced it all together correctly. I don't know. It's and it, it has no narration, unlike the Kamala Khan one, which has Kamala Khan narrating her story. This one has no narration, but it's like deliberately ham-fisted exposition in a way that makes it reminiscent of like old-school comic stories. Um, yeah, I'd recommend it if you just want like fun. Um, fun reference Marvel-y stuff. I, I quite like these two. I'd be interested in checking out the rest of them as well. I did think the whole concept looked interesting. The ones that I, I'm i looking to read myself when I get around to it, because I get so much to read, so much, mm. um, that like sometimes I have to like put things on the back bench, and unfortunately, really good things get put on the back bench because I don't even think about it. I just, like, right, I have to miss that, that, and that because I want to read this. I'm really invested in this dc event right now so mm. that's my main thing but like the ones that i wanted to check out from these generations books was the thor one and yeah. um i wanted to check out the iron man one as well actually yeah the thor one seems interesting because it's the unworthy thor and the mighty thor mm. um but yeah i think if they ever i'm sure they will if they get round to printing all of them as one oh, they will, block yeah, volume i'll definitely buy that they'll collect but for it. now yeah, yeah. definitely but yeah. for now, I've picked up the two issues that I was the most interested in. So. Yeah, they'll collect it. It'll be in a swanky hardback, and you know, mm. it'll cost a lot of money, but we'll buy it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I guess that wraps us up. Does anyone else got anything else they need to mention or talk about? I think we're done, aren't we? Mm, looks like it. We're at the end of the list. So, we're going on to what we're looking forward to now. So, 11th of October, which is this week, which is when this podcast goes out. We have Mechadet U3 on the stands. We have Mr. Miracle, number three, on the stands. We have Miss Marvel, number 23, on the stands. We have Retcon, number two. Uh, Bombshells United, number three. Um, Bombshells United, Ray, I've, you're reading that, aren't you? I've started picking them up, but I've not actually started reading them, but they've been highly recommended by a friend of mine who I've started dragging to the comic book shops. And okay. it's one that she's picked up and has said a lot of good things about so i've seen covers and things but it's not been something that has been on my radar too much 
Um, so I just wondered, like, kind of what the deal is that. So you've got Dark Knight's Metal number three, uh, Detective Comics number 966, mm-hmm. uh, which I bought the last one, um, 965, <laughs> uh, because um, it was like some really interesting cool Tim Drake story that kind of explores the character Tim Drake and his motivations for becoming Robin and things like that, which I thought was really interesting. So I'll be picking up this because this will be part two. Um, I've got a Tomahawk Zero, which is an interesting thing. as It's like a deluxe oversized collection uh, from Image Comics, published collecting um, the Tomahawk's stories that were published or serialised in Heavy Metal magazine. Um, it's by Donny Cates, which is your guy from God Country and Redneck, which are things that I've talked about a lot. Um, and it's going to be collected in full colour, and it will be available on Wednesday. So that'll be something to pick up, because that looks really, really insane and out of this world. Um, you've also got Redlands number three and Scales and Scoundrels number two. So Redlands has been really cool so far. I've been really enjoying that book and Scales and Scoundrels because obviously it's just like a really really fun fantasy D&D book with really really nice cool artwork I really like it um, 18th of October uh, which is next week you've got John Wick number 1 Shirtless Bear Fighter number 5 which is that the conclusion? I think it is isn't it? not sure I think that's the conclusion of Shirtless Bear Fighter uh, Captain Phasma number 4 which has been really cool so far, actually, um, as a, as you know, as like a, a sort of standalone type Star Wars story, bridging the um, the oh, I can't remember the names of the films now. It's number eight. <laughs> Is it number Force eight? Awakens no, it's number seven. Night. It's not number eight. It's number seven. It's bridging number seven and number eight. Yeah. Oh, God, Star Wars, man. It's just use numbers. Um, <laughs> you've got um, the beautiful death number two which is something i think you two have been reading isn't it that's something that i picked up um and i was i did want to talk about the number one for that but i didn't get as far into it as i'd have liked in time for the recording so i'll be sure to be talking about numbers one and two together next, next time. time next time curse words number nine. Oh my god curse words this book just gets better and better and better and kill the minotaur number five and kill the minotaur another book that just gets better and better and better um apparently that has a movie deal now Oh, cool. Yeah, there was a thing I saw about them apparently aiming to make a film out of Kill the Minotaur, which I thought was pretty sweet. But we'll see, shall we? <laughs> we'll see if it lives up. We'll see if it lives up to the comic because the comic is is fantastic. But yeah, so um, we don't have any questions this week, which is kind of a bummer. So please send us questions. We like questions. It's annoying when we don't have questions. <laughs> um, and I guess that wraps us up, doesn't it? Because uh, yeah. No, that wraps us up. So that's been Ace Comicals number 20. Thanks for joining us. You can find us on Facebook under Ace Comicals. You can find us on Twitter at Ace Comicals. You can find us on WordPress. We have a blog, which is um, acecomicals.wordpress.com. You can find Ace Comicals at www.acecomicals.com, which is kind of the hub for everything we do. We're on Instagram as well, again, under Ace Comicals. Uh, You can find me on Twitter under at Bato, that's B-A-T-T-O-U. Uh, Ray, where can we find you? Yeah, on Twitter as well, at Monke, so that's M-O-O-N-K-E-H. And Leon? Uh, on Twitter also, uh, at Leon Everett. 
Yeah, so uh, if you want to send us a question, you can send us questions through, well, you can send a question to the Ace Comicals Twitter account as a DM, or uh, you can reply to a, something we tweet, send us a question for the show, happy to answer it. Uh, you can send us questions for a Facebook message, you could send us a question to uh, acecomicals at gmail.com if you prefer email. Um, you can also um, leave us some feedback on the actual Ace Comicals website you can send us questions that way I guess if you wanted to um, but yeah so please leave us feedback send us questions give us a like give us a follow check us out um, Ace Comicals over and out